This is the conclusion of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Volume 2, Book 3, Conclusion. Joan's brother Jacques died in Domremy during the great trial at Rouen. This was according to the prophecy which Joan made that day in the pastures, the time that she said the rest of us would go to the great wars. When her poor old father heard of the martyrdom, it broke his heart, and he died. The mother was granted a pension by the city of Orléans, and upon this she lived out her days, which were many. Twenty-four years after her illustrious child's death, she travelled all the way to Paris in the winter-time, and was present at the opening of the discussion in the Cathedral of Notre-Dame, which was the first step in the rehabilitation. Paris was crowded with people, from all about France, who came to get sight of the venerable dame, and it was a touching spectacle when she moved through these reverend wet-eyed multitudes on her way to the grand honors awaiting her at the cathedral. With her were Jean and Pierre, no longer the light-hearted youths who marched with us from Vaucouleurs, but war-torn veterans with hair beginning to show frost. After the martyrdom, Noel and I went back to Domremy. But presently, when the constable Richemont superseded La Tremouille as the king's chief adviser, and began the completion of Joan's great work, we put on our harness and returned to the field, and fought for the king all through the wars and skirmishes, until France was freed of the English. It was what Joan would have desired of us, and, dead or alive, her desire was law for us. All the survivors of the personal staff were faithful to her memory, and fought for the king to the end. Mainly we were well scattered, but when Paris fell, we happened to be together. It was a great day and a joyous, but it was a sad one at the same time, because Joan was not there to march into the captured capital with us. Noel and I remained always together, and I was by his side when death claimed him. It was in the last great battle of the war. In that battle fell also Joan's sturdy old enemy, Talbot. He was eighty-five years old and had spent his whole life in battle. A fine old lion he was, with his flowing white mane and his tameless spirit, yes, and his indestructible energy as well, for he fought as knightly and vigorous a fight that day as the best man there. Laire survived the martyrdom thirteen years, and all was fighting, of course, for that was all he enjoyed in life. I did not see him in all that time, for we were far apart but one was always hearing of him. The bastard of Orléans and d'Alençon and Dolon lived to see France free, and to testify with Jean and Pierre d'Arc and Pasquerel and me at the rehabilitation. But they are all at rest now these many years. I alone am left of those who fought at the side of Joan of Arc in the great wars. She said I would live until those wars were forgotten, a prophecy which failed. If I should live a thousand years, it would still fail. For whatsoever had touched with Joan of Arc, that thing is immortal. Members of Joan's family married, and they have left descendants. Their descendants are of the nobility, but their family name and blood bring them honors which no other nobles receive or may hope for. You have seen how everybody along the way uncovered when those children came yesterday to pay their duty to me. It was not because they are noble, it is because they are grandchildren of the brothers of Joan of Arc. Now, as to the rehabilitation, Joan crowned the king at Reims. 
for reward he allowed her to be hunted to her death without making one effort to save her during the next twenty-three years he remained indifferent to her memory indifferent to the fact that her good name was under a damning blot put there by the priest because of the deeds which she had done in saving him and his sceptre indifferent to the fact that france was ashamed and longed to have the deliverer's fair fame restored indifferent all that time then he suddenly changed and was anxious to have justice for poor joan himself why had he become grateful at last had remorse attacked his hard heart no he had a better reason a better one for his sort of man this better reason was that now that the english had been finally expelled from the country they were beginning to call attention to the fact that this king had gotten his crown by the hands of a person proven by the priests to have been in league with satan and burned for it by them as a sorceress therefore of what value or authority was such a kingship as that of no value at all no nation could afford to allow such a king to remain on the throne it was high time to stir now and the king did it that is how charles seven came to be smitten with anxiety to have justice done to the memory of his benefactress he appealed to the pope and the pope appointed a great commission of churchmen to examine into the facts of joan's life and award judgment the commission sat at paris at domremy at rouen at orleans and at several other places and continued its work during several months it examined the records of Joan's trials, it examined the Bastard of Orléans, and the Duc d'Alençon, and Dolan, and Pascarel, and Courcel, and Isambard de la Pierre, and Manchon, and me, and many others whose names I have made familiar to you. Also they examined more than a hundred witnesses whose names are less familiar to you, the friends of Joan in Domremy, Vaucouleurs, Orléans, and other places and a number of judges and other people who had assisted at the rouen trials the abjuration and the martyrdom and out of this exhaustive examination joan's character and history came spotless and perfect and this verdict was placed upon record to remain forever i was present upon most of these occasions and saw again many faces which i have not seen for a quarter of a century many of them well-beloved faces those of our generals and that of catherine boucher married alas and also among them certain other faces that filled me with bitterness those of beaupere and courcel and a number of their fellow fiends i saw omet and little manguette edging along toward fifty now and mothers of many children i saw noel's father and the parents of the paladin and the sunflower it was beautiful to hear the duc d'alencon praise joan's splendid capacities as a general and to hear the bastard endorse these praises with his eloquent tongue and then go on and tell how sweet and good joan was and how full of pluck and fire and impetuosity and mischief and mirthfulness and tenderness and compassion and everything that was pure and fine and noble and lovely he made her live again before me and wrung my heart i have finished my story of joan of arc that wonderful child that sublime personality that spirit which in one regard has had no peer and will have none this its purity from all alloy of self-seeking self-interest 
personal ambition in it no trace of these motives can be found search as you may and this cannot be said of any other person whose name appears in profane history with joan of arc love of country was more than a sentiment it was a passion she was the genius of patriotism she was patriotism embodied concreted made flesh and palpable to the touch and visible to the eye love mercy charity fortitude war peace poetry music these may be symbolized as any shall prefer by figures of either sex and of any age but a slender girl in her first young bloom with the martyr's crown upon her head and in her hand the sword that severed her country's bonds shall not this and no other stand for patriotism through all the ages until time shall end end of personal recollections of joan of arc by mark twain your reader john greenman